0: turn novak is here uh and he is a vc if you're on twitter and you're into vc twitter which is a full 0.7 percent of adult males in the united states you're obviously know who he is and uh he's spicy is your screen okay it looks like you're jittering a little bit there you're you're on an m1 mac yes of course
1: no but i'm on a asus zen book that i got for 50 percent off at best buy uh,
0: all right. Hold on a second. You're a VC. and You're showing up to meetings with a Zenbook.
1: Hey, it's all Zoom. So no one
0: knows. They, they know when your machine crashes like every five <laughs> minutes and your video goes. <laughs> <laughs> this Week in Startups
1: is brought to you by Brokers Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off traditional insurance today at embroker.com/slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code TWIST. Our crowd helps you invest early in
0: pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at
1: OURCROWD.com/slash twist. And disruptive advertising get $1,000 off your first month of service at
0: disruptiveadvertisingcom slash twist okay and if you're listening to the podcast and wondering what the heck's going on here with the format with the lack of formalities uh we're trying something new i'm just asking people uh you know who are guests on the program if they would consider going on live when we go live we use a piece of software called Restream. It sends a video stream to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, which is kind of cool. Facebook, which I guess we, we don't get any viewers over there anymore. Um, well, it's interesting, you know, Turner, when you, when you build up an audience on these platforms, then at some point the platform's like, we'll just take that audience back and then charge you for it. So Facebook, I have like zillions of followers, 100,000 people following the page, whatever. And like three people get a notification about the video and they're just like, would you like to promote this? I'm like, no, I want to reach the original audience that you convinced me to build for five years. And whatever. You so, know what fixes this? What fixes that? Crypto?
1: Yeah, Web3. Have, you, have <laughs> you heard of it before? Have you looked into I, it? I
0: have. Um, all right, listen, let me just give a brief overview of who Turner Novak is. You can follow him at Turner Novak on Twitter. Uh, he gained massive popularity over the past couple of years uh, in his uh, full 30 months as a VC. Uh, just basically turned uh ish posting a- into a fund his fund is called banana capital and uh he's quite spicy on the twitter turner how did you get into venture
1: well uh, it's a very long story but essentially oh, uh, get get I it's just, a
0: podcast so we, we have time
1: yeah I mean, how, how much do you want do you want the 30 seconds do you want the 30 minutes or somewhere in
0: between yeah the in between whatever you choose. <laughs> in between uh, uh so you wanted to get into vc but it, when you were younger or when you couldn't Yeah, I, think I,
1: yeah I guess the kind of the full, the, the minute context, originally yeah, sure. from Canada, moved to the U.S. My parents got divorced. Dad moved back to Canada. Mom went back to school to get a visa, stay in the country. Couldn't really work. So volunteer under the table, get paid cash, gift cards, got food from the food bank growing up. She also had a small business. She designs custom handmade wedding gowns, which is a decent business if you're in New York, Paris. Not the best business if you're in a small city in the Midwest. Uh, And I just spent a ton of time on the internet as a kid. Got kicked off the computers at school every year. That kind of uh, an upbringing. And just knew I'd do something kind of tech-related. But went to school for accounting and finance. Joined the investment club in college and was like, holy crap. You buy a stock and it goes up?
0: Yeah, stocks go up.
1: Yeah, they don't go down. They only go up. Like, investing. This is awesome. I want to be an investor. And I just kind of went down that rabbit hole where... You know, well, you what can time invest. Were you
0: that period where you were in college? I'm curious, just to pin it to the stock market. Yeah,
1: 2009 through 2014, I did a victory lap. I my last wow. three years, I like cut down. I just did a bunch of internships to make money and avoid student loans. And uh, yeah, so I would I would look at a company like Uber, like it's worth mm. hundred billion dollars publicly traded. But why can I invest in Uber when it was worth like one billion or? There's some people that were, like, the first investors at Uber. Like, I want to do that. What? that. Yeah, you want to do that? Yeah, third me. or fourth, like, fifth. I don't know. But mm. anyway, so. So you became, like,
0: at some point, aware of private companies. Do you remember how you became aware of private companies? You just reading, like, TechCrunch or something?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't I don't remember specifically. I mean, yeah. I think it was, it was probably like around the Facebook IPO, the Twitter oh. IPO. I'd watch the opening bell with my roommates and be like, oh, man like i remember the twitter ipo it took like six hours like it didn't go public until like two in the afternoon we like skipped class and i just remember thinking like maybe not maybe not twitter specifically but like facebook what a great business like why am i why would i invest in the ipo like why can't i just invest before like how do i set myself up to to go earlier and that was a long process of figuring all that out and being in probably the third best city in michigan to get into tech in vc like it was a it was a long process but yeah just essentially I just got some jobs related to investing and kind of more financial aid in Michigan started writing online a lot, just picked some topics to write about that I thought would be worth kind of like planting the flag, building a track record around. I did this fantasy VC portfolio. It's like fantasy football, but with startups oh, nice. and uh, initially my, my Twitter was probably 99% serious mm. uh, back in the day. And now it's like 1%
0: serious, 99% just, memes for joking trolling i mean you get a lot more attention from that but just to confirm instead of going to class you decided to cut class and instead of deciding to cut class to go hang out with chicks or to go drink beer or to go to the quad and smoke weed your you and your dork friends went to watch cnbc (laughs) and watch the twitter ipo i I would
1: like to think i was a lot cooler than that but yeah
0: I, I think it's the ultimate nerd move it's pretty great actually i uh, so, you're writing online, you get a little bit of attention, but then you want to start your own fund. And how old are you at this time that you decide you're going to start your own fund? Because that's the kind of new thing that's occurred here, is that yeah. uh, young people actually believe they can start their own funds, and they actually succeed, which just didn't even seem like a possibility, I'll be honest, 10 years ago. It's,
1: it's stupid. I don't know why you even try it, to be honest. Uh, yeah, it was kind of an accident. I mean, I had been essentially trying to prove I could be a VC from Michigan, which essentially m- meant being online instead of in San mm. Francisco. And this was tw- like early 2019 was mm. when I finally got all the interviews and everyone was like, you got to move to San Francisco. You of can't course. be a VC unless you're here, No, which made sense at the time. But my, you know, when I think about like my advantage, like if you're a startup, you got to think, how do you attack the incumbents? I was like, how do right. I compete against the incumbent VCs or just like the people who are you know, probably like a shoe in to get the jobs, you know, I'm the complete opposite kind of background and network that I have set up. So I was just like, I don't think I need to be in San Francisco. So yeah, I, that's kind of, I just tried to figure out how to make it work. And I took an internship, it's like a pretty big pay cut. Um, and I actually had to sell my house cause I couldn't afford my mortgage. And then we had a rental property that you can buy rent. You can buy real estate in Michigan for like $65,000. So that's I sold crazy. it cause yeah, I had a ton of equity in it and, we had to move, so we just moved right next to my in-laws instead of in in Ann Arbor on the other side of the state instead of moving to San Francisco. And then pandemic hit. Um, as I was, I joined this uh, real estate firm called Gelt, and they were like, "Hey, let's raise a venture fund for our real estate LPS." And with the pandemic, COVID, they were really focused on the real estate business. It was it was tough to get LPS to come in, and I just had a bunch of people that were like, "Turner, you know, we've been co-investing together. Like, if you ever start your own fund, like." I'm in, like I had a bunch of money kind of soft committed for this fund that I actually wasn't going out to try to do, but mm. I just hit a point where everyone was like, yo, you got to You got to do this. Like, I think you'd be good. And I thought, you know, maybe in 20 years I'd launch my own firm. I that think that's why I told right. my, Pay your yeah, news. my, yeah, like that's why I told my wife, the first date that we had, you know, I was like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I want to be an investor. I want to run my own firm one day. And mm. I was like 23 at the time. So yeah, I think I'm 30 right now. Started raising this right before I turned thirty, and in, in January was officially when I was like, "Okay, I have to do something." And I just kind of went back to all the people that I'd been talking to, meeting, co-investing with, all the founders I'd backed, and told people it was happening, and <laughs> everybody wanted to invest. So, and it was my thesis was I can use memes to get distribution online, and it's way more efficient than anything else. And it was while GameStop was happening, and that was not a, a tough sell at the time, like. Everyone's like, oh, memes, duh. Like, this makes sense. Right. So just really lucky timing with how COVID, the pandemic happened, how memes have kind of blown up. It just all kind of worked in my favor. So yeah, super lucky.
0: If you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a great founder. Startups should look no further than in broker. Broker's technology saves you time and money. Prices are like up to 20% lower, and they got better coverage than all these slow incumbents. You can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. I kid you not. And when you work with Embroker instead of business insurance incumbents, you're not dealing with large, slow corporations. The sign up takes days, not weeks, and the process is so transparent. There's no opaque pricing. There's no negotiation. You just get it all done. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I'm going to quickly explain to you one crucial type of startup insurance that Embroker covers. It's called e and you may have heard it you know, or overheard it. It covers errors and omissions. That'll help you deal with scaling your business because any major customer you try to sign up is going to say, hey, can you show us your EO? Part of the diligence process. So you want to get it now. It's not that expensive. These things are part of the process of growing up as a startup. And you know what? I find sometimes people wait until they get burned to put on their insurance. The insurance is not that expensive. You want to do it proactively, especially if you've raised money recently. That's the perfect time to deploy a little bit of capital into protecting the kingdom, protect your enterprise. So to instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups, go to imbroker.com twist. And while you're there, you get 10% off. They're already amazing prices by using the offer code twist, T-W-I-S-T, imbroker, embroke com slash twist. All right, thanks for supporting the show, broker. Love you guys. And you decide to raise like a $10 million company based a $10 million fund based on this meme action, you start and this is kind of like how open the industry is because of Twitter, Clubhouse, other social platforms, uh, previously blogs, obviously podcasts, getting uh, into VC, literally interacting with the top VCs requires mastering Twitter, which requires arguably... A 100 hours of being on twitter maybe if you do it thoughtfully and just copy the people who are doing interesting things or being <laughs> let's just say reasonably good at the twitter yeah you just slide into everybody's replies you start doing funny stuff obviously i see it you're trolling me or you're you know mixing it up with somebody else and it's like okay of course i'm gonna respond you're talking about me i have no choice i'm at least gonna like it i have a sense of humor but you must have gotten blocked did you go over the line with some of these memes did you you know piss people off because when you're doing comedy, it's a fine line, you know, like the joke and the hurt could be right next to each other.
1: Yeah, there's definitely it's it's funny enough. It's a lot of public market hedge fund, anonymous Twitter accounts that uh, don't like it. You probably know the exact archetype I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's just probably not the funnest people to hang around anyways. I think most VCs, they kind of like we all kind of acknowledge like, yeah, we are kind of a meme. Like we are kind of pretty easy to make fun of. And I think pretty it's
0: pretty easy to make fun of. Yeah. It's like, who are these affluent dbags bags who just write checks and then take credit for all their portfolio company success? And what, yes. is that, what is that job even doing? Like you listen to a pitch and you say, yes, it's like, okay, you wrote a check. Yeah. Like, congratulations, you're an ATM. I always tell people like, don't forget you're an ATM. Like people are not talking to you because of your personality. They want a check. They want money to fulfill yeah, their dreams. like And sometimes maybe on the margins, you can help them with some stuff um but you didn't you didn't uh go fly so close to the sun that you burned any relationships that you can think of Who, who's got the least of. sense of humor who's got the least sense of humor that like was like blocked you or something certainly mark Andreessen's blocked you for sure no he, he actually hasn't he's retweeted really? a couple oh, of have, memes He's got work
1: to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> he uh yeah, yeah i love a16z they're awesome i think they're the strategy that they're trying to execute on like there's all these different if you think about venture firms and mm-hmm. you pick a strategy it's just like companies like the one that they're executing on it's working like i think they're really good at what they do and there's other lanes to compete on and so yeah i have a ton of respect for them i think they've done a really good job
0: so tell me uh, about mechanically uh you know for the benefit uh obviously i know of raised funds but for the benefit of the audience there's people who are watching who are 22 years old or they're 19 year old turner novak's in college watching this and like, okay, yeah, he did it at twenty nine thirty. I'd like to do it at twenty-four twenty-five. how does it work to, you know, raise a micro fund, this like ten million dollar my first fund kind of situation? My first fund was ten million, in fact, as well. Uh, yeah. I, I just passed the hat, you know, ten years ago at a poker table with a bunch of my besties. You know, that's how I did it. You know, didn't do it over Twitter, but yeah. your technique over Twitter seems a lot more efficient.
1: Yeah, honestly, it was so initially it, like it was a pipe dream thought it might take a really long time and it was just trying to build a track record and like trust because people are not there's people who want you to be a fiduciary of their capital and get a return and there's other people if you're a vc it's and if you're raising a small fund they want you for a deal flow like it's almost like be a scale for me 50k tell me when your best portfolio company is raising a series a or a series b i want to lead the round with a 20 million dollar check so Got those it. are kind of the spectrum of the people it's like
0: that's a new no. dynamic in the industry, which is Mark Andreessen did that in my first fund. A bunch of venture mm. firms are in my first fund. You have Sequoia Capital in yours. I was the first outside venture fund that Sequoia backed, actually, would launch back in that first one. Um, and that's a new phenomenon. Mark Andreessen did this as a way to sort of spread influence. He put 50K into a bunch of funds. I subsequently kicked him out of my second fund. Well, he wouldn't speak. He wouldn't come on the podcast. <laughs> and, I was, it would, and he wouldn't come to the event. So, like, do a fireside chat. And I was like. He's like, do I, in order for us to like be in business together, do I have to like be on your podcast or come to an event? And I said, yes. And he said, okay. And I said, great. Just, that was the end of the relationship basically. Well, I started with like a, like a jerk move. Like you, you want to support me or you don't want to support me, you know, like pick one Mark, like, and then you block me and unblock me and email me and then not email me. And then, you know, want to buy my superhuman shares from me. And, you know, I was just like, no, I'm not selling you my superhuman shares. Like, but this is a new phenomenon of venture firms wanting to use you as an early signal. So how many venture firms are in or partners in venture firms are in your fund? Approximately a dozen?
1: It's a pretty big number. Uh, Venture firms and partners, probably like 50, 50 or so. Wow,
0: they put in 100k each, that'd be 5 million. So on average, they hit 100 or 50. It's 2.5 to 5 million, something like that. Yeah, it was probably about 75. 75. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's amazing. Now you have 50 of them you have a portfolio company that's breaking out how do you communicate that to 50 people because they all want to relieve the A? so you just do a bcc and, or do they just read your <laughs> yeah. you know lp update like hey here's what we invested in and then they just look at the spreadsheet or do you give them a spreadsheet and say hey here's what we're investing in so they can yep. double click on it and it's up to them to go drill down and ask for the the uh, introduction
1: yeah i think that's the art of it right like you want to keep all these Kind of downstream or upstream, I guess, depending on how you think about it. investors. Downstream is the way happy. to think, I think of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if yeah the, so the
0: way I think of the downstream thing, just so people understand the metaphor, what we're talking about here is downstream investors. So if Turner and I are at the well, YC is at the well, you know, you're just watching, you know, the water come out of the well, uh, you know, the spring, it goes downstream. And then seed funds that do three or four million dollar checks and venture funds that do 10, 20 million dollar checks would be downstream from us downstream from the series a funds would of course be the late stage funds.
1: yep yeah Uh, so it's essentially you yeah you just try to have a good relationship with all of them and you kind of know what people like like some people i i I invest in kind of tilts consumer there's Mm. a little bit of more like software stuff and i just kind of know this guy's not going to like this thing Mm. don't have to mention it to him um but you just kind of balance it and you i think ultimately you take what the founder wants Mm -hmm. ahead of everything Sure. Uh, like you might say, you know, hey, just a heads up. These guys are raising money. He no, he's not taking you intros, but you can reach out if you want. And I'll just tell the founders like, hey, I mentioned to some people, these guys might reach out. You don't have to reply, but, you know, you mm-hmm. probably should w- with these guys, you know, so it's a spectrum. You just try to balance it. It's like a relationship thing. You're how far like,
0: into the uh, how far into the 10 million deployment are you?
1: So of the fund we have invested, it's probably like 55, 60 percent. Um, and through SPV is kind of total, uh, it's like 25 million. Oh, so you're doing the fund plus SPV
0: model, which is the model I, I did or pioneered. Yeah. Yeah. And it was explain to the audience how that works.
1: Yeah. So the, so the, the, the fund is essentially 25 K to 300 K checks, try to have a balanced portfolio. I basically pitched people. There's going to be 40 to 50 companies. Nothing is going to be tilted and weighted really heavily in the fund and, there's some cases where we'll put a million dollars, 1.2 million in a C or 5 million in a B or 10 million in a series D and that can't fit in the fund. So we'll have invested in those companies earlier in the fund, but then when they follow on and break out, we'll go to all the LPs and there are some people who don't, they don't want to do SPVs. They, hmm. you know, they're like, I don't want to pay fees. Like I want to invest direct or I just, I want to yeah. lead the round. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are just like high net worth, you know, have a lot of money that are like, Hey, let me know. I can't do hundred K checks, but let me know when we can do a million or 5 million in SPV and we're interested. And um, so you kind of use those to augment the fund. Um, I actually do not like the SPV process mm. is I think it's a Why hassle. raising the money. Um, it's, it just like, it takes a lot of, for, you have to convince people six weeks. to,
0: you have to yeah. pass the hat. You have to write a deal memo. Uh, Which you doing don't like diligence. Doing
1: like who, you have do diligence. who does diligence.
0: Uh, I do massively. Uh abs- abs- I do absurd yeah. diligence for an same organization fund.
1: Yeah. No, you don't. I don't I don't sleep usually. I
0: just, no, no, well, just for do fifth, diligence on team, I have eighteen people. I mean, you you uh, have but this is the this is the, the big challenge when I first had my fund, which I had no people. I had an executive assistant at the time, um, who then became my chief of staff, but you have a ten million dollar fund. It, even if you were taking fees on it, I didn't take fees on my first fund, but if you did take fees, two and a half percent a year is two hundred fifty K. That's basically enough to pay yourself. So how do you staff one of these funds? Or do you just not staff it? And you you, you just, that's kind of part of the, the issue here is like you're you're writing 50 to 300K checks. You, you're you not going to have to read the legal documents. You're kind of going along for the ride. You're not going to be doing the diligence. You're just going to get to know the founder and everybody kind of understands that at this early, early stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it depends. So the, my pitch to my investors and the founders that I back is there's all these hedge funds that are coming down from the public markets, and they're going early and earlier, I my long term vision is do the exact opposite, start at pre seed, but eventually invest in the public markets. Mm-hmm. And to the founders, it's like, okay, so you have like the DNA to actually like understand what I'm doing. And like, maybe work with me a little bit earlier on, like, I, I don't pitch a value add at all. I'm just like, I'm a dude, I'm not going to help you grow your business, but can maybe understand the product, maybe a little bit better than a later stage hedge fund that's mm-hmm. that's coming in. Um, and, and which yeah, is sequoia's it, point Patsy with right.
0: the new sequoia fund yep. um sequoia saying hey listen <laughs> i'm rule off both i've been on the board of square forever uh yes. and why would i leave the board and when it went public it was 15 or 20 bucks a share it's now 200 bucks a share we're going to distribute late and we're going to hold our shares forever the end and i think they were also in doordash after linda doordash and you know they're just staying on those and you know uh according to them they don't distribute their shares to their LPs until they think it's fully realized or, you know, maybe in the public markets for two or three years. Uh, And now they're saying, hey, we're just going to hold these equities because they're sitting on $45 billion in equities that they have. So they're going to become, everything seems to be hold everything forever. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors while our crowd analyzes many of these companies. They search across the global private market. Then They select the ones with the greatest growth potential. And finally, they bring them to you and me from personalized medicine, to cybersecurity, to robotics, to quantum computing, and much, much more. Whether it's in a state-of-the-art lab, a startup garage, or anywhere in between, our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest. And that's early, don't I know it? Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies, and many of their members have benefited from 46 IPOs or exits. Now, you can truly diversify your portfolio by investing early in innovative private market companies at our crowd join the fastest growing venture capital investment community in the world at rcrowd.com slash twist that's our crowd o u r c r o w com slash twist to sign up for free today and start reading all those great deal memos have you hit you know it's been pretty crazy days here two questions one how do you think as a neophyte investor, a uh, first-time investor who's only operated at the top of a market. You've only operated at the top of the market. And in fact, you started your yeah. career monitoring all this right after the last crash. 2008 was the last crash. So you've yeah. only been an adult in an up market. Yeah. Uh, basically, stocks have only gone up for you. And valuations, consequently, uh, you're probably seeing this as well. $25, $50 million, even an occasional $100 million pre-launch. Uh, valuation, pre-product market fit, pre-launch valuation. Yeah. How do you think about these crazy valuations? Uh, and having not lived through the wars, Clone Wars or the Empire, yeah, that's, those are Star that's... Wars references. It was like Harry Potter, but before that.
1: Hey, cool. I'll, I'll look it up after this. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. I. It's kind of a loaded question. There's a lot to unpack. I think. Yeah. Unpack. Ultimately, like I. Don't expect any multiple expansion on any investment that I make. Probably expect some multiple contraction. And that could be on revenue, users, hype, whatever multiple you're paying. Um, so I think anytime I make an investment, the value has come from actual execution and just like growing the bin, like making a fundamentally like sound business that is eventually a publicly traded company. And I think if you, if you invest in a seed round, and it goes public in 10 years, you might get a 20x, you might get 100x, but you'll make money. So I don't get too worked up about the exact nuances of it, especially for this fund. Like, if I was, if like, I think any check that's like $100,000, hundred fifty, dollars can return a $10 million fund. You're not leading round. So the way I kind of approach it right now is you're really just find, trying to find the best founders and products and companies and teams and just, Back them, and you're kind of building a track record. In the future, you have to be able, have to be a little bit more sensitive about what the ownership looks like, and you know, you, what the valuations are. I do, I have backed out around, which is like I just think this valuation is kind of crazy. Don't have a lot of conviction in it, etc. So you kind of, so that skew. is kind of
0: interesting. You're you're taking the valuation and your conviction, and you're taking those two vectors and saying, hey, I'm high conviction, and then this is how delighted I am with the valuation. If you put it on an X Y, obviously, if you think it's a reasonable. Yeah valuation reasonable unreasonable you can kind of plot on an x y chart if it's a reasonable valuation and you have high conviction you're pulling the trigger you know reasonable value even like unreasonable valuation high conviction you might actually pull the trigger right yeah you're going to give them credit for their series b essentially at the seed round.
1: yeah that uh, i i really don't think that's happened so well, I mean, maybe highest, i
0: mean clubhouse a 100 million dollars and that would, yeah, that was true. a series b price previously
1: and yeah. i thought it was kind of crazy i didn't have enough conviction in clubhouse i didn't even really try to invest i probably couldn't have
0: i tried a couple times but mark Andreessen was in it and as i previously
1: oh yeah (laughs) mentioned we have a little bit of a uh
0: yeah you gotta gotta work on that
1: relationship he's the man
0: no i mean i just think that's one of the things about being early is you answer to nobody if you're willing to do the work i mean think about how painful our job is being the earliest investors you we have to have conviction when the product maybe hasn't even touched consumers yet, uh, or there's ten customers, right? I mean, how do you make decisions? Do you actually talk to customers at this point? Do you look at data, uh, or do you just look at the product and get to know the founder, and that's enough for you? For me,
1: uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a mix of everything. I think data is always helpful. You want to be able to benchmark it, and yeah. you, but the thing is, almost I think like the sweet spot is decent data like there's some promise there's a lot that needs to that could be better and you can just tell based on playing with the product and talking to the founder like oh the data is going to look way better in the future they're going to make the metrics look better and the valuation is very fair because of that like it all reflects it and you have the conviction that oh they'll be they'll easily be able to hire some some engineers to just go a little bit faster and like they just they just need the money and they'll execute on all these things that need to happen to kind of close all this and, and pick all this low hanging fruit that they still need to use. That's almost like the sweet spot that I try to look for is like, there's some proof point, there's some traction, there's still some questions. And that's typically when it's a, like seed, um, when it's like a so series, most B things haven't
0: been, fi- most things haven't been figured out, but something promising has emerged is if I'm reflecting back to you, what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Um, it, d- it depends on stage. Like I've done some pre-seed it's like pre-launch the founders, 20 years old. Has never started a company before, mm. but you can just tell based on the conversation. Like you, you pull out all these things she's done throughout her life, and you're like, "Okay, I should probably make the bet now because I will regret not doing it because it just feels like she's probably going to keep doing all these impressive things." And it, but it will now be through her company instead of, yes. you know, run, running tuition or running uh, tutoring classes in high school and like getting into a good college from like a bad background and like all the stuff that she's done so you kind of try to find those there's like the famous thing saying it's like you invest in in lines not dots so you kind of if there's no lines you try to like go backwards and like produce the lines that happened before you met the founder and like or before they even have any actual data or progress on their company and then when it's like series bc typically for me it's more of uh like do I feel like my spreadsheet is going to be way like the, the market size in my spreadsheet can be 10 or 100 times bigger than how everyone else is thinking about it? Like all oh, this boring, you know, this lame consumer app actually has like, mm. you know, a 100 times more people could potentially use this based on some new features they're adding and down the, the, the pipeline and 20 times subscription revenue is actually a fair valuation because of all these things that they'll do. And again, it's a super contextual, very nuanced. It's not like a one-sentence kind of answer, but you kind of try to think about all these things. And I kind of try to back into like, do I think this founder is going to build a publicly created company? That's ultimately what I try to find. And, you know, you mm. try to look for like comps. Like, oh, there's this big, dumb, legacy, 100-old company that does 50 billion in revenue and like their executives print their emails to read them or like they still use faxes. So, like, it's an interesting company to compete against if yeah. you're a, a tech startup. So, you just try to find, like, all these different little things to kind of piece together. And, like, honestly, I don't go out and try to invest in, like, this is a slam dunk home run, super obvious to everyone. That's generally not what I'm investing in unless I have some kind of unique edge in and, like, the founder well, really likes me. The or things that are
0: consensus uh, generally exist in the world already or are so obvious they've probably been tried already and people have failed. It's the non-consensus bets. You know, Airbnb famously pitched 37 mm. venture firms before they got a yes. Um, at the Open Angel Forum, when Travis presented Uber, three of us invested and 19 didn't. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg wrote a famous blog post about not investing. Wow. And so, you know, and I in- introduced Tesla to dozens of venture capitalists and you know just email friends like, "Hey, you know, you should take a look at this." And they were like, our company, are you crazy?"
1: Did you invest? Was
0: I didn't. I wasn't an angel investor at the time. Uh, okay. it was Always, people always ask me that, and it was like, I wasn't an angel investor, but Elon was raising money, and I just emailed a bunch of friends who, and that's actually how I wound up becoming a scout at Sequoia. Was mm-hmm. I had emailed them and said, hey, you know, I know you know, I know you know Elon really well. Like he's making progress on this. I just drove in the prototype. I ordered one. Like this is going to be incredible. And then I emailed Twitter, and I was like, Michael Moritz and Roloff, you just have to do this deal. It doesn't matter that Fred Wilson is overbidding. Like, and I had been talking to. The, the Twitter folks and they were asking me, hey, what do you think of Se- you, you've got backing from Sequoia? That's all be in my autobiography at some point. But and Fred Wilson was doing the DL and Evan was like, hey, what do you think of Fred? Because I know you're friends with Fred and Fred's wife used to work for. And I was like, Fred's the nuts. He's amazing. Like East Coast VC, but you know, and back then East Coast VC was kind of a negative signal. And he's like, and what do you think of Sequoia? And I was like, well, oh, you know, honestly, like Sequoia, you can't go, you know, Sequoia versus Fred Wilson. Like, if you were in New York, I'd say go Fred Wilson. If you're in the West Coast, maybe it's Sequoia. Like. You, this is like picking between like two of the best options. Um, and Sequoia didn't close to deal, and Fred did. So I didn't do Tesla. And then I told them to do my friend's poker app, uh, which was, eventually became Zynga, but it was online oh, poker. Wow. So all three of those they passed on and then they were like, Can we just give you money and you invest it? And I did Uber, Thumbtack, and data stacks in my first six or seven investments. So three unicorns in the first seven. Uh wow. and that's basically the serendipity of how my career started was I I had been forwarding so many founders and that really is like a your story as well. Have Apple's new privacy updates impacted your attribution from paid ads? I bet it has. Well, good news. The folks at Disruptive Advertising can help you. Disruptive Advertising manages over $250 million a year in advertising spend. And they are trusted by hundreds of brands like Adobe and Scott's Miracle-Gro. So if your Google and Facebook ads are not scaling like they used to, you should do a consultation with Disruptive. They will look to help you scale your spend profitably. How? By diversifying your ad strategy on less popular platforms. They'll track every single dollar that you spend or earn, and their marketing consultants focus on end-to-end tracking across your CRM, marketing automations, and e-commerce platform. They care less about return on spend. What they really focus on is contribution margin, profitability, and closed deals. So here is your call to action. Get $1,000 off your first month of service at disruptiveadvertising.com twist. Disruptiveadvertising.com twist for $1,000 off. Just start doing the job, and then somebody will give you the job. Yeah, exactly. This is like, Such an easy concept that a bunch of cryberry snowflake peers of yours do not understand. So explain to me why it is so obvious to you that if you just do work in the world that is credible and that is in the vector and the sector that you want to perform in, then everything just falls into place. And you said it yourself, like, you're like, hey, listen, if this founder, if she's done a bunch of stuff and she is entrepreneurial and she, you know, worked on this project and it took grit. and you're just putting together all those dots and then making a bet. What's going on with your generation? You're, you're Gen Z, correct? Or are you millennial? Are I'm you bubble? Are you I'm bubble? Okay, so I'm millennial. Even yeah. So with these millennials, there's a lot of crying, there's a lot of emotions, there's emotional labor going on, from what I understand from one of Rachel reporting's uh, okay boomer segments, Fridays on the Sweden startups. Why are they so why are your contemporaries so caught up in their goddamn feelings as opposed to simply posting on twitter like you did for six months and then raising your own fund i mean it's such an obvious path if you just do the work even if you're not getting paid you will then get the job what's going on with your generation be you represent now all millennials go yeah, yeah Speak i don't for know your this, generation. Is
1: a, this is a hard question
0: uh <laughs> I, I i
1: guess i just kind of like i saw it as well i probably wouldn't hire myself so what do i have to do to convince myself to hire myself well hmm. Because I, I like knew in my in like in my head, I was like, "Oh, I could be so good at this." Yes. I think those are like all the skill sets I have. I just like, how does someone else know that? So I just kind of started writing online and, and tweeting. It was more serious stuff back in the day. It was like, yeah, you know, you probably know like the threat emoji. It, the threat emoji did not exist on Twitter like a couple of years ago. But that's like the kind of stuff I would do and just yeah, try to try to like build a, a public track record of just my thoughts on stuff, and hopefully yeah. I'd be proven correct in the future and. Yeah, like, I think, and and that's hard to do. I mean, I think it's actually hard to come out and say right now, like, Web3 is, like, a terrible idea. Like, it's going to fail. Like, that'd be very, uh, very easy to say right now. Or to come out and say, like, you know, San Francisco is the future. You got to move to San Francisco. Here's all these reasons why. Like, you basically pick stuff that other people are not talking about. But then when you're, there'll be some people that read it and say, oh, this guy's dumb, has no idea what he's talking about. There'll be some people who are going to go like, oh, that's actually that's a good point. Like interesting maybe he could, point of view. Yeah, he could bring a good perspective. And then over time, mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco comes back. And yes. everyone's like, Oh, Turner was like on this. He knew that San Francisco would be a thing. Or like he was all about Miami and Austin before everyone moved there. So
0: Or if you-, you bet on Airbnb or you bet on Uber when nobody else did, you just all of a sudden get some disproportionate amount of credit for the founder and their team yes. crushing it, right? It's like Oh, yeah. you know what you saw it before everybody else and it's like well i actually placed you know 16 bets as a sequoia scout i think 700k total and 16 bets and yeah like four of them five of them you know became worth over 100 million famously but like that is the
1: the That's model decent. in
0: what we do it worked out okay uh you know it's it's one of the things about starting in an up market you know if you, i started 11 years ago so you started in 2009 2010 You get this huge benefit. I'm very realistic about that. When I went out and raised my previous funds, I was like, I can guarantee you one thing. My IRR from the Sequoia Scouts Fund and going forward, like it's only going down. You can't maintain 109% IRR or 109 IRR. That's just impossible. That's just luck, uh, you know, and a small number of investments, you know, going very big. But I think it's important for people to hear. Listen, I don't want to get into generational war. But I do think it's an important note because gen xers when we came out we were like listen we're not part of the system therefore we have to make our own system and we were very entrepreneurial in that way And was like you know what we're going to be rebels we're going to come at it from a little bit of a punk rock you know alternative kind of approach here which is yeah you know we may you know uh be moody or whatever but we're going to build it for ourselves and then millennials came along and it kind of like bifurcated because i meet a lot of millennials who are like you who seem like i'm not employable so I said, I'm going to just build my own, you know, I'm going to take my own course here. I'm going to chart my own course. I'm not going to just go up the ladder and wait in line. Um, but there's a bunch of them who seem paralyzed. And like the system is so rigged, it's so unfair. Do you, what do you think now that you're in business a lot and you were outside of Silicon Valley? Do you think it's a closed ecosystem or an open ecosystem? Having experience right? I mean, I'm, we're touching the third mm. rail here, but let's be mm. honest about it. Yeah. open or closed in what sense uh new people being able to incorporate themselves into it accessibility Uh, to new voices new people openness to accepting young new people
1: i think it's very open honestly i I think it just depends though like to, to certain um you need the right kind of mentality and things that you bring to the table and you know there's there's a lot of things that are probably wrong with how it works and i i do try my best to to fight against those and give like certain people a voice but i think if you ultimately you know they think there's like I, I think at the end of the day the startup ecosystem people are trying to make a big impact in the world trying to make money so if you can do those things bring a new perspective in like people will value your perspective right like yeah. they don't know like like meet, meeting you 20 years ago who would have known that you would have been the guy who sourced tesla uber like yeah No. like if if they would have just you know brushed you off they wouldn't gotten access to all those things <laughs> but if they would have just taken the one call got coffee with you you know they're you're, they're the one person who did that for you you'll yes. love them forever and they'll like that's why they're you'll, you'll,
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah so i think it's fairly open i think like i think a lot of people are very busy though so if you just say hey i want to pick your brain
0: like not the right I, way to break into the system but if you say i'm going to write i'm going to do a podcast i'm going to make funny tiktoks like i bring uh, something to the table i'm going to bring something to the table you're going to prove something you're going to show some work
1: Yep. yeah it's like with with investors investing in startups i don't think anyone invests pre traction or pre some kind of proof points like there's a lot of pre like these pre-launch seed rounds the the founding team has a huge history that you don't need yeah, the, the, tra- three the of them to together just... at
0: Facebook and built some you know mobile ad technology that has seven patents <laughs> and they're like yeah no we invested pre-launch and it's like in yeah. three people with four patents each like okay great you know like yeah so well i think it's like the risk you took there
1: <laughs> yeah so i think it's just like everybody's l- looking for just like new information or meeting new people and you know i think you, there, there's always like some proof points that you can show
0: I have a theory about it. My theory is the industry was so closed, and it was all MBAs and Stanford and Harvard MBAs. And to get in a seat in a VC firm was extremely hard. You had to know somebody, be a frat brother, you know. And even then, you know, it was hard. You know, there were only a limited number of seats, right? Then you had this like angel investor thing, which when I started eleven years ago, like I had a hard time finding six or seven angel investors in Silicon Valley. Like the demo days, like yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, you know, it was me, Cyan, Chris Saka, you know, it was just, you know, Ron Conway, there was a very small group of people angel investing. And, you know, the 20 people, 30 people that you could round up for a dinner to look at companies when I did open angel forum it was just so small. Uh, but it was enough to get 250 or 500k a million dollars, you know, passing the hat 25k at a time that it did work. But I think there's an overhang between what was true in 2000 which is it is a closed system and you're probably going to be a white guy out of Stanford or Harvard uh, if you're going to get this job. And then 2021, which is if you want to start being a VC, you can just be an advisor or you can pop up an SPV or you can pop up a fund on AngelList, Carta, Ashore. like all these services didn't even exist. I give a lot of credit to Naval and AngelList uh, and Ashore Fund Management and Carta. Well, they kind of were a fast follower, but really AngelList and Ashore opened the world's eyes to like, yeah, Jake Cal could have a syndicate and Tim Ferris, myself, and um Kevin Rose with the top three and Gil Pinchino with the top four syndicates on Angelus. And it was like Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I awesome. launched it and the four of us were on there and then Tim Ferris and Kevin Rose with their followings had five million dollars in commitments and like a thousand people. And then Gil and wow. I had like a hundred or two hundred people and like, you know, three hundred K in commitments. But those guys never syndicated deals because uh, mm-hmm. they were too busy doing other things and Gil and I actually just hustled and, and grew and we actually did a lot of deals together I
1: feel like uh, that's very impressive 10 years ago or whatever, yeah. versus now um, to your one point though about the the cycle I do think about it a lot so yeah. what I focused on quite a bit is I'm trying to get very institutional LPs that are in it for the mm-hmm. long haul all my communication with them is it's kind of insane I, I'm doing really long well paper like it, it doesn't mean anything i'm just trying to lay the proof points and lay the foundation to actually do this for a very long time and hopefully over a long period of time be a good partner to you guys and you know for 10 funds or however long it takes and my expectations are always fairly low around hmm. the you know i do think we're closer to the top than the bottom so i'm gonna act think? like that <laughs> I, yeah I, I don't know, you know
0: actually what i'm doing right now uh, as a strategy is you know we invested in 350 companies in the last 11 years over 200 of them are i would say vibrant and active other ones have exited or you know are kind of sideways or whatever maybe zombie mode or you know eventually going to be shut down the founders just haven't you know put the final uh, nail in the coffin um i have 50 to 60 of them raising money concurrently the last six months so every you know every week three or four of them close around and then three or four more start around the next week So literally, I just took the team and I was like, can we just focus on our portfolio that's raising money doing our pro rata, you know, we'll we'll still do, you know, primary investments and uh, syndicate investments, whatever other things, but let's just make sure that our companies get cashed up at this high valuations high market, let's make sure they have all the dry powder they need to succeed in their missions. Um, And it's given me the ability to be like, you know what, I'm going to say no on, I'm getting invited to crypto rounds. And I find the idea and the team's credible, right? So that's actually a big, and we should talk about crypto, but that, that was a big turning point for me because it was just like all these like shysters and like, like really smarmy people uh, who were like, I knew them from the dot com era who were just clowns during in the dot com era. And they're just like now they're billionaires in the crypto era. Um, and I'm like, okay, you're you're writing a white paper with spelling errors in it and you're raising a hundred million dollar ico and you're going to destroy airbnb with a token that's not gonna what are you gonna do take the tokens and like throw them at the airbnb employees and like
1: break the windows and break the the windows it's not gonna work
0: like (laughs) airbnb's got network effects like how why is a host gonna want tokens instead of cash pay their it was just the whole thing was so stupid but now like i'm actually seeing some credible teams and they're like yeah, you know, Solana's already built. This is already built. This is already built. So here's what we're doing. We're building a DAO. Here's how it works. It's in an LLC. It's legal. We got this. You know, Goodwin Proctor figured this out. since I'm like, okay, you're you're not a criminal. But like, no, you know me from these three other startups. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's true. I do. You're legit. Oh, you have four developers. Okay, so there's there's four full time developers working on this. Not like maybe some developers who are doing this on the weekends. What are your thoughts on crypto in 2021? Are you investing yeah. in it actively or are you just dunking on it on Twitter or both
1: yeah uh, both so I think there's a lot of really in- there's a couple interesting things about it I do think it's just uh, like my I guess my my Twitter is just like poking fun of the stuff that we're all kind of thinking about and like no one else is saying and there's a lot of people talking about crypto and web3 so I'll poke fun at it uh, but I do think that there are some interesting like if you can use the token economics to jumpstart the network effects in some kind of a business. I think that can be interesting. You probably need like a compelling product that's better than the existing product, but then really consumers need a better
0: product to replace the existing one that's solving the problem. This is the key insight. You're 30 years old and you or whatever 33. I don't know how old are you 30? You're 30. And you understand this basic concept that the product you're replacing, you have to be at least 50% 50% better for people, maybe twice as good? People yeah, I changing for, like 10 for a 10% better product, or a product that exists in a white paper.
1: Yeah, so, like, there's there's been two that I've invested in. One's Lolly, cashback, Bitcoin cashback, um, the, the, the TLDR is young that work? people.
0: The consumer, yeah, tell me. Yeah,
1: yeah so young people don't use the cashback products, like Ebates, but Lolly gives you Bitcoin instead of a, a cashback. So it's interesting to people. You use that as a wedge to build up a Crypto fintech product. The brands okay. that they work with love it because young people don't use them, use their cashback products elsewhere. So it's it was a really interesting kind of wedge to build it, and it all made sense. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, it's, it's crypto. And then the other one, it's a game. It's like a free to play FIFA. Like it's it's basically like free FIFA, like free soccer game, multiplayer first, cross platform, free to play. I invested, and he's like, oh, I can actually use some of this, some of these Web three components to monetize and. It actually makes sense. I think it will help us grow faster too. So Mm -hmm. I was like, "Yeah, makes sense to me." Um, So that's typically the crypto I'm investing in, where it's like you
0: you understand the end user value proposition as opposed to some theoretical. These are going to be rails or something that every everybody's going to build everything on top of, and this is the next app store, and so it's worth a billion or five billion or ten billion dollars. And it's like, yeah, there's that's a long way to go, but okay. Uh, You know, I've been giving this some thought. This is my new theory on crypto um, because I'm the store of value i thought was like a pretty weak use case like store of value like most people don't own their home, so like they should probably accomplish that test first of like own your home it's a pretty great store of value because you can live in it that's true and you need to live somewhere and rent is just you giving money away but if you own your home so or maybe own a second home whatever so store of value i thought was eh. you know like and there's other things you can buy that store of value like equities in companies that have value propositions like say amazon or disney or netflix that we know are going to be here in 10 or 100 years so store of value i didn't like then money transfer i was like are you guys actually looking at the fees and saying this is cheaper because i I don't know i just saw 30 percent in gas fees for the constitution Dow, and we're in year 12 of crypto like are you guys morons like money transfer this is a racket they're they're just fleecing people this is like there i mean tony soprano is looking at the hash on the sopranos is looking at the vig at this and he's jealous he's like crypto vigs or 30 percent. he's getting five percent a week is his juice uh you know and then i was like nfts huh that actually is interesting if you own the ip okay crypto punk, you don't own the ip oh but the monkey you own the, the ip okay that's interesting and what about royalties oh you can get royalties maybe Okay, yeah, yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. Smart contracts. Oh yeah, I could see that working because I remember, you know, like I remember music licensing. I remember photo, you know, uh stock photography. Yeah, these things made money and like there was a lot of money moving around. And like if there was a new structure in Creative Commons and the original photographer gets ten percent of every use of their photo, and then if they sell it, they get a twenty percent kick or whatever it is. Yep. I was like, Well, that's really brilliant. Sorry, I can't help but like it. Now I think these NFTs are all a giant scam and that people are Doing insider trading on them to paint the tape, like there's been 20 transactions on this monkey, but it was probably just a bunch of friends trading it between each other, and then you're the 21st who buys the monkey and you're yeah. the bag holder. Yeah. Like, are you guys schmucks? Do you not think this is occurring? Uh, putting that aside, then I saw Dows and I was like, uh, this is smart. So what do you like about Dows?
1: Like, I I don't think I get the Dows. I get NFTs. Uh, I'll explain it. I'll explain okay. It.
0: So uh, you just went through uh, putting together a venture firm. Did you use yep. Carda, Ashore, Angelist, Angelist, lawyer? Okay, use Angelist. So Angelist charges like whatever, 30, 40 grand to set these up or they you need to give a percentage, right? So you're giving of your 20 points, 2 points or something. What's the deal on Angelist now?
1: It is 25k. I maybe got a, a deal cuz I'm have like a Twitter following. I have no idea. Sure. But it ends up being like 0.3% kind of like admin fee, which I thought was really got fair. It.
0: Great. So that exists as a concept. And, and so that changed venture forever because it used to be two hundred fifty thousand dollars to set up a venture firm. So now you did it for ten percent. If it was two hundred fifty k, how accessible would building a ten million dollar fund be for you? Not as accessible. I wouldn't right? have been able to do it. Wouldn't have been able to do it. Okay, great. So now you've proven my point. Now we start looking at capital formation uh, as a just a, a genre, right? As a as a as a toolkit. Yep. And uh, you know, sure, we have GoFundMe. GoFundMe's work. I did a GoFundMe to report on crime, and $60,000 showed up, and I gave it to an investigative journalist and wow. just required a couple tweets. And they're doing Gotham by the Bay. If you Google Gotham by the Bay, you'll see a newsletter on Substack okay. just about Checking crime that. in San Francisco. And uh, a bunch of people donated to it. Uh, I said I'd be 1% of it, so I think I put in $600. Other people put in a couple thousand, hundreds, 50. uh It was pretty neat. Okay, so we have that proof point. We have you as a proof point. Okay, so now let's say we want to buy an asset. Uh, let's say, we all live in San Francisco. And there's an open lot in San Francisco. It's a giant triple lot it's going for $12 million. And I just tweet, I want to buy this $12 million thing. And I want to make it into a dog run and a kid's park. Anybody want to put $12 million into this, I'm starting a DAO. Dow gets fired up their donations. But then I say in the programming, Uh, we're going to share the designs, and everybody gets to vote on the designs. And then uh, we're going to let anybody who donates use it for their kids birthday parties, there will be a reservation system you get up to six hours a year in using these facilities, either the dog park for your doggy birthday, uh, or the park for your kids birthday party or whatever you want to use it for. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll have a special key and a key code the park will be available to everybody during these hours but only to members with this key code after hours so you can use it 24 hours a day since it's a private park might that be an interesting concept to fire up for close to free if let's say it was in fact you know it gets to this free and then some programmer just fills out a form it could be like a no code like a bubble or a webflow or even zapier or if this then that so you go in with an if this then that statement and you're like if you own this many tokens, you get this many hours. And then you have governance and oh, you can sell your tokens to other people if you leave the neighborhood. And so boom, now we've bought this acre in San Francisco, we tweeted it, it caught viral, which is what happened with the Constitution. And you can just start thinking about every possible use case like that. Let's say we said, hey, you know, we, we want to fund five new managers, we create a fund of funds of $100 million. And we're going to just give Twenty million to five uh, fund managers and we're going to all vote on which fund managers the fund managers come before us they give their presentation they show their metrics we all get to vote and then you could share you could sell your state in this fund of funds to each other how interesting would that
1: be would be interesting i feel like there's some regulatory stuff that has to be figured out because that definitely sounds like we're 100 because you would have takes. to be
0: these dows these would have to be uh people who were Accredited investors, and then in the if they're donating the money, they don't need to be. But if you did have a share of it, it would have to be accredited investors today. But I think what they're doing is with the DAO stuff, like they're pushing the envelope each time with these DAOs. Yeah, and kind of like Bitcoin. Like, can could you ban owning Bitcoin in America today? I don't think so. Like, too many politicians own it. Too many people have adopted it. Just like at a certain point, you couldn't ban Airbnb because if you were a senator or congressman. You know, president, mayor, you would have suicide. too many constituents call you. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be political suicide. And actually, Bradley Tusk used that technique against the mayor of New York when they tried to cap the number of lifts and ride Oh, interesting. And when you opened your app in New York, it said, hey, you know, the mayor de Blasio wants to cap the number of things. If you disagree with this, press here to email him. Click this to call his office right now. And de Blasio was like, I give up. I submit. <laughs> All right. Uh, So that's what I love about DAOs. And now I do think I am looking at it saying there's, I think it's 5% realized. And I do understand that people are looking at saying, hey, J-Cal, and this is a big fight we had on all in episode 56, and a little bit in 55 when I was so pro these, they're like, this is idiotic. And I'm like, you guys are pulling (laughs) up the ladder behind you. Yeah, this is not idiotic. You just have to imagine squint a minute and assume like, okay, they've solved 5% of this. Now assume they've solved 60% of it. 70% Seventy percent of it, eighty percent of it. That's what's going to happen over three, four, five years. And at some point, somebody's going to just say, "I want to buy the Knicks." Probably going to be me. And six billion dollars going to show up from around the world, and you know, a bunch of funny imaginary money, and I'm going to convert it into owning the Knicks. But that's what yeah. I like about it.
1: It, it all makes sense. I think it's like we'll see because with all these new crypto innovations or waves, I feel like the first the first wave of that new concept is yeah. Kind of just people trying things out. There's some grifters that come in, and there's a lot yeah. of bad actors, like you kind of pointed out earlier. So yeah, yeah, I think like I'm approaching it from an investment. Like I try to be a fiduciary of my LP's capital, so I like to really understand what I'm investing in, which is maybe crazy for a VC. And then I also try to m- make sure that I know what's going to happen after I invest. So, mm. um, so for me personally, with a lot of the crypto stuff, I'm just going a little bit slower. Um, like I'm I'm kind of waiting to see how it all plays I'm- out. I'm what sure I'm you- looking
0: for right now is a call for startups. I'm looking for like two or three developers who want to create a DAO company that builds the infrastructure of a DAO. In other words, you come to the website, you press a button, it creates a chat environment. It creates suggesting of uh, governance. It lets people vote on the governance. It lets people see their ownership to see the cap table, as it were, of all the shares and allows somebody to just fire up a DAO at any time for any reason. Almost like If a GoFundMe and a DAO were combined, I want to build the platform that is the DAO of GoFundMe DAO platform, you know, so somebody has two or three developers, I'll put like 500k a million dollars into that just if you build me like a pitch deck and you're credible. So so, this is a call for startups. Let's go through your portfolio and questions from our live audience. What's the best question we have? Good. Put it up on the screen. Oh, Bob G. Always great questions. What data do you ask to see first when investing in a startup? What metrics are most important? Big fan. There you go, big fan! Wow, that's
1: huge! Thank you. Uh, what data asks you first? It's it's tough. Probably retention, mm-hmm. whatever that means, whatever kind of company it is. I think
0: why is that and, important?
1: Well, you can be growing really fast, but mm-hmm. if you don't have a sound product, it will kind of all fall apart at some point. Mm-hmm. So, I think the growth is really important. But I really, I really care about like, okay, cool. Retention is 2%. It's a leaky bucket. Or if it's 90%, like people do not churn from your product over a certain period of time, depending on what your business model is, you can be like a, a cash generating machine. Like mm. and you don't even need to raise money. So, th- like that's, th- there's kind of that spectrum that you can be on. So, I, I really like to say, like, hey, the product works really well. Typically, the retention is a function of how good the product is, how the founders think about things, the team that's been hired the market that they're competing in, like it kind of answers a lot of those questions. So that would probably be the, the number one, but yeah, you always I look like at, that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you look at the growth rate and like the economics, like the unit economics, the business model, like all that kind of stuff makes sense. Um, like average contract size or revenue per user on the consumer side. Um, yeah. Retention is probably the number one for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you have a leaky bucket, as we say in the business, you could be acquiring customers incredibly efficiently. And then if yeah. four out of five are leaving, now you've just, your cax has gone 5X. Okay, tell us about your thesis of why Joker, 15-minute grocery delivery, is going to beat Uber, Eats, uh, okay. uh, DoorDash, Instacart, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so if you look at Joker's website, the careers page, you look at all the public information that's out there, they're really focused on Latin America. They're really not, they're, they're smaller in, in uh, the US, smaller in Europe. So They've essentially built a business that's really similar to GoPuff, but in Latin America. Um, and when you look at these dark store vertically integrated model versus the marketplace model, the marketplaces are typically more capital efficient. You can spin them up quicker because you don't have to build the warehouses. You just partner with the local store, like local um, grocery stores, local convenience stores, gas station, restaurants, etc. But typically, there's two different systems that are communicating. So it's a little bit more inefficient. Since it's not all vertically integrated, it's a little bit slower. Um, the inventory systems aren't hooked up. So oftentimes there's issues with like your order going through. Um, the platform doesn't actually have control of the supply and the product in a lot of cases. So that flows into lower retention and sometimes less controlled growth and just like a worse customer experience. So when you go super vertically integrated, way more capital intensive, Maybe you can't scale up quite as quickly, uh, but it gives a way better customer experience. And, and Joker's early numbers, the the traction and the retention that they have, uh, compares very well to kind of some of the other models. So, and they're mostly focused in Latin America. There's really not quite as many people doing it down down there. And I think they're in New York, so they get comped against everyone else that's in New York. But that's not really their main business.
0: Makes um, sense. Yeah. They'll
1: still try to be in the U.S., but and yeah, just the team previously ran food panda which is like the GrubHub or the doordash of southeast oh, asia that. yeah yeah so they, it's it's the majority of delivery heroes business now by mm. like revenue and gmv and delivery heroes like a 30 billion dollar company so i kind mean, of a no-brainer just met the team before they genius. launched invested a couple times and yeah they're doing really well so
0: uh okay let's take another question from our audience we'll take two more questions Next question is from Kevin. He asks, breaking into VC question. If a 37-year-old CPA business owner was bored of accounting and wanted to break into VC, zero current network or prior industry experience, how would you do it? Very how would interesting.
1: I, do it? Hmm. I would start writing online, do some tweets, do some blog posts, pounding related startup concepts. Very right. boring. A that doesn't feel like a sexy place or a place that's very competitive. So no. I would have some content out there specifically on your Twitter timeline, make sure when somebody hits your Twitter or whatever your whatever social channel you're using, whether it's blog, whatever, the first couple things they see are all relevant and interesting to people, like how QS, how a founder can use QSBS to maximize yes. their secondary perfect. or something I, I don't know, just like some topic thing. No, that's
0: a perfect example of like something that's incredibly boring, but that uh, a large number of people would be compelled to uh read. I would say also um I've seen people use Quora and tons Mm. of questions come up on Quora. And so if you branded yourself the VC accountant uh or you know the venture accountant and you started answering questions about QSBS on uh something like Quora, when somebody comes to me and I see they've answered like 150 questions on Quora and I can read the actual answers, each answer might take you 15 minutes. You're making yourself smarter so back to how turner was able to just pull a venture fund out of the air um, based on this exact strategy i mean core is another great place to be active a blog is a great place to be active and then rachel who works here uh, had started her own podcast and i listened to it and i was like seven out of (laughs) ten that's what i thought immediately i just said how good is this it's a seven out of ten and i was like seven out of ten for somebody out of school who just manifested a podcast out of nowhere. Like if she's starting on second base. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty freaking impressive. Like her podcast was better than my first hundred episodes of this week in startups. Like it was in terms of production and like how refined it was. So obviously she's taking notes, Great, More than qualified to work here at this week in startups. Let's go. Uh, and then Henry Bellicaster famously, you know, wow, David Sachs. And now like, I think they're in like a chat room together working on edits to make David Sachs you know in his right-wing position papers even more palatable to democrats like they've got some they've got some like signal room with keith Raboy and peter teal and Sachs and henry belcash that's what i'm imagining and they're making videos and memes together like this you know purple pill meme okay that's what i think all right pick uh what's uh what's an underdog firm in your portfolio, in other words, one that's under the radar, maybe most people didn't understand when you sent it to them, that you're absolutely delighted and have strong conviction about this is a one for you to pick an under the radar firm, uh, a company that most people didn't understand, but that you have high conviction. in.
1: I was uniquely just smart and proud investor, right? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, probably the easiest answer is a company called Facily. It's if you've Fastly. ever heard of Pindodo. It's the, it is now the largest e-commerce company in China by number of customers. It was ah. founded about six and a half, seven years ago, grew like hundred X a couple years in a row. Just insane. Uh, guy who started a similar concept in Latin America, it didn't quite pattern match the same if you're mm-hmm. just pattern matching and you were an earlier investor in, in, PDD in China. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I sent it to all the early investors and was like, this is insane what he's doing. Like it's the same thing. I think it's going to work just as well. And so I've invested a bunch of times in almost all the rounds. I had to skip one Can when I was raising Can you spell the fund. name
0: of the uh, company?
1: It is F-A-C-I-L-Y. Fasili is how you say
0: it. And their domain name is, I'm looking for them.
1: F-A-C-I dot L-Y.
0: Ah, they got the dot L-Y rocking.
1: They do. Um, Which yeah, they're basically Libya. A- So they're an e-commerce platform for lower income consumers in Latin America. So that's the majority of people. Um, And it's unprofitable for the Mercado Libre. They're like the Amazon of Latin America. They just can't really serve these people very well because the ticket Mm. sizes are too low. So he figured out a couple tricks to get really cheap cash, get really cheap distribution and and logistics Mm. to serve them. And it's working pretty well. The company breaks a lot because they're growing like hyper growth and they're opening new locations and warehouses and rejiggering everything every couple months because it's just always mm. it's growing exponentially but yeah it's they're really they're, I think they're the number two overall downloaded app in Brazil right
0: now amazing
1: but and no one is really talking about them but I'm, I'm a Is big the fan. concept
0: here that a group of people can buy in bulk together and then chop it up when they get the package to their house or something like that like in terms of social commerce or is it just small ticket sizes and being able it's, to figure out how to get those to people who aren't ordering $200 in groceries, they're ordering $30 in groceries
1: yeah, it's, it's smaller ticket sizes, and typically what it is like if I if I go on the app and there's like potatoes that are on they're like maybe ten percent cheaper than the store. But if I invite you to buy your first time, your first thing of potatoes on the app, you get a discount, and so do I. So I'm ah, incentivized to, to like get. spread the word and get more people on board, and you you basically buy together. And then so what they do is they eliminate a lot of middlemen; they go straight back to the suppliers. They get a better deal from the suppliers but the suppliers make more money because the middlemen are cut out and then the consumers get lower prices because the middle metal middlemen are cut out and then since it's all in an app, it's like you can run an advertising business you can target people uh, genius essentially yeah and then what, what they did with uh on the the logistics side it's all pickup so they do a little bit of directly to your house deliveries but most of them are they actually partner with local mom and pop stores and people pick up their orders from the from the store so you oh, can he- pool 20 orders in one neighborhood just to one delivery point and, and drastically cut your logistics costs and then Makes sense you also give some traffic to the to the local businesses which they really like ah,
0: um, that's great yeah so oh you can pick this up at this essentially bodega corner store whatever it is yeah that store now hey maybe i need some shaving cream or deodorant or whatever I got some milk whatever i forgot to get it's sort of like poker tournaments at casinos which are money losers but Whoever wins the tournament then wants to play in the craps table with everybody else's money. And they all lose it all anyways, yeah. So when you invest in an overseas company, do they have to be a Delaware C Corp? Or have you figured out how to invest in a Brazilian company? Or how do you mechanically do that? Because that does come up, right, in our line of work. And what's your yeah. advice to founders then?
1: Yeah, it's typically Delaware or Singapore. I've done one uh, Luxembourg entity one that was based in france one that was based in sweden basically just pay a lawyer to look at it and make sure it all (laughs) makes sense there's no tax implications it costs a little bit more uh but i prefer if it's in the us if possible usually southeast asia and india i think they're generally singapore latin america sometimes like caribbean virgin islands often it's delaware so Mm. I think that's kind of the, the best practice
0: seems like everybody's doing delaware corps now we see that even australian companies uk companies they they get that they want to make it easy for american investors who in some cases just won't invest if it's not a us company okay let's take a question from the audience next question is from noah noah asks why would a first-time founder be interested in being in your fund if you aren't hands-on what is the benefit why would a first-time founder yeah that's be interested? it's a good question
1: uh I mean, it, it really depends on the context. There's some where we're a little bit more involved than others. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of the extent of like an angel. Like if you were to have CEO of some company, like you really respect the founder, you know, they'll help you with a couple things. They're not going to hold your hand and talk to you two hours a day and sit on your board. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. And there are a lot of founders who like really don't need a lot of help. They A lot of times they just need money. Or they need you yes. to connect them with a couple people, and that's ultimately the value you provide. There's a lot of VCs that pitch this. We'll add a ton of value. We'll roll yep. up our sleeves. We'll make hundreds of introductions. And
0: we've got a marketing just, PR department. We've got an HR department, and the founders who are the most dynamic are like, I, I don't want a VC fund running my v, my exactly my employment process, my HR department. Sorry, or yeah. my PR department. Like, why would I do that? Yeah, you want um, the company
1: to build those capabilities internally. Yeah, and like it's I'm, I'm happy to important. Like,
0: yeah, I could, I could help
1: kind of a little bit and you know, I'm happy to jump on a call. Like there's some founders that I talk to them literally every day, some that I talk mm-hmm. to once a year, like I haven't heard from them in a long time. Uh, but I've actually noticed the the founders that send consistent updates to their investors on average do a little bit better than the ones that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ones that do like to just stay in touch and like, they'll just give me quick updates. Like we just signed this head of sales, like so pumped and like, awesome. Like, that's cool. Like you, you just be responsive and they're like, Hey, yeah, it's like being
0: a friend who can give you a high five and then, you know, maybe be a warm ear if they want to talk something through. And yeah, if there's something acute and that has to be handled and there's some fire that needs to be put out, they might ask you, yeah, can you come help me put out this fire? But I know that I'm
1: I'm like, there's nothing unique about me. Like I'm not going to like change the the trajectory of your company any more than someone else could. So for me, I just I just you you kind of have to be a market taker. You go out and find the people that no one else is making bets on or you find out where you have like a different view on what they're doing. And that's ultimately how I make money as an investor is I I just try to back the people that, you know, they just they need your they just need your money and they just they need someone to believe in them. So,
0: yeah, I mean, at this early stage, it's just about filling out a 500k to $5 million round and you're passing the hat a lot i mean more and more i'm just seeing founders in this environment do a party round they're like i'm not waiting for a lead angel investors now have realized small seed funds have realized if i'm going to get into the round it's going to be before a lead has been established therefore i'm going to put the 50 to 100k in now make sure i sign my documents make sure i wire the money and if i I happen to
1: like, I'll help you get the lead. Like, after I do that, like, I'm in, and I'll make sure we yes. get someone else on board.
0: Yeah, that, but so. see, it's different now. What it used to be when you were an angel, you'd say, okay, when you get a lead, let me know I'm in for 50. The lead would come in, and then you put your 50 in. And you, th- There wasn't this idea that you would lose your allocation because the market is so hot, and somebody's got so much money, and they're a billion-dollar fund that they're going to take everything and say, I'll give you the 5 million, but no, nobody, no free, ro- f- no free rides for anybody. And so that's actually a really interesting switch, because what used to happen as an angel, you would put in 50k, the company's burning 50k, three people put in 50k, the company gets three months of runway. And then in month four, they're like, hey, we're going out of business. Yeah. And that was like happening so often 10 years ago, that you're like, okay, get all your commitments together. When you have 12 months of runway, then we'll hit the fund button. But things have changed, you know, like, it's just, things are moving a lot faster. Okay, let's take a final question from our Really astute audience. Turner, you okay over there? Yeah, I'm, I'm sweating a little okay. bit, but. Okay, here we go. It's a big, tough question coming in for Turner Nova. Okay, Mohammed asks, why do you think tech stocks are correcting itself now? Zoom is down 50%. Any thoughts? Okay, great questions. Yeah, Public yeah, markets I mean, do impact private markets, obviously. They're they're connected in some way. So uh, what do you think is happening in the market?
1: Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is just interest rate expectations. You know, you value these companies and there's a lot that goes into it. But you basically take the value in the future and you say, what's that value that they're going to create over the next 100 years? What's it worth today? And the way you do that is you discount it at whatever the interest rate is being set by the Fed. It impacts that value that you'll pay today. And when interest rates are lower, that is a, it makes the valuation higher of that future cash flow, what the business is worth. When interest rates are higher, you can essentially earn more money, taking less risk. So you would not be investing in some of these businesses. Essentially, that's kind of the easiest way to describe it in just like one or two sentences. So it's really just interest rates changing. It impacts where people want to put their money. And, you know, people say, why would I be in Zoom? Super risky. It's a tech stock. All the value is going to come in the future when I could instead invest in a bond from the federal government, from... From the Fed, yeah. Somebody, somebody just commented, DCF, discounted cash flow model, is essentially how you think about that. Um, that's Nicola probably down
0: eighty five percent. I mean that that was
1: a scam. Like that was a fraud. That was a that's why
0: <laughs> Beyond Meat down sixty seven percent. Lemonade down seventy one percent. Peloton down seventy two percent, almost. Zillow down seventy two percent. Stitch Fix seventy three percent. Redfin down fifty four percent from their high. So. Yeah, it is, oh. uh, it's happening right now. Twitter down 37%, snap down 38% from their high, lift down 39% from high. It, it's happening out there right now. Obviously, the Chinese stocks are also getting crushed. Baidu down 55% from their peak. Alibaba, 55% as well. Zoom, 55.8%. Robinhood, 58%. Although that was kind of a weird meme stock moment when they went up to whatever they went up to. So I don't, I kind of like, we'll cut that off, uh, you know, the i, I kind of like when, to they, the when they get into meme stock territory i just kind of cut off that high and i oh, just yeah. like just like let's forget that happened and just you know keep it in the 20 to 30 40 billion dollar valuation range they i do fast. think this you know people have gotten a little bit crazy with this you know price to sales ratio in other words yeah. just valuing companies as a multiple on top of whatever their top line revenue is and it's just a little aggressive uh, i think people got too aggressive with that you do also have the pandemic stocks coming back down to earth. So zoom and Peloton and e-commerce companies, and then China obviously cracking down on their startups and their big tech companies explains those. So you you have to kind of double click on some of these to understand what's going on. There's interest rates for that affects all the stocks because uh, people are rotating out of tech and maybe going into safer things, but China and pandemic stocks, because you did mention zoom People get super enthusiastic about these things, but, uh, and zoom is a commodity product is one thing to keep in mind. They happen to be the best version of it, but that is something I would be cautious about with zoom is, is that how unique is that product? Have you used Microsoft's, uh, have you been on a board call like or any kind of teams? call with Microsoft's team? sucks yeah it's, it was it's just like what are you what is going why are you changing the size of everybody's images like I, I was in like a iphone size and people's images are moving all around and i was like yeah this isn't very good but you know microsoft i always judge the fourth or fifth version like i remember when microsoft word came out that's how old i am uh, and i was like wow. this sucks compared okay. to word perfect and like word perfect and lotus one two three were the standards they were independent companies right and then microsoft's like it, we're going to create microsoft word and excel we're going to bundle it call it office and yeah yeah come at us and that uh,
1: distribution advantage that they
0: had and everybody was like these things are dog man they're never going to compete and sure enough version four or five of excel version four or five of microsoft word was like whoa they figured it out like they are like this giant brontosaurus or like elephant woolly mammoth like man they walk really slow but when they get five or six steps and they get a little bit of momentum going like yeah be careful
1: uh, well, I think of Zoom as more like Cisco. Like, they got to get into the phone, the communication system. Yes, they should like, buy
0: some, they should have bought some companies at the high valuation who make the hardware, like Howl or something.
1: They did. Which they bought the, the call center company, right? Five, oh, yeah they did. or something. That's right. What was it called? Yeah. Something. Yeah. You know what I'm talking but about. But I yeah.
0: mean, they should have Zoom headsets, Zoom cameras. They should have, they did have a Zoom hardware product. They made a monitor for meetings. So they did dabble. Maybe keep pulling that string is my advice.
1: Yeah, well, also, See when I make the Cisco comparison, Cisco's also had a nice fall from their high. So maybe that's what Zoom's doing too.
0: Well, yeah, Zoom is drinking their milkshake because those uh Cisco rooms that big corporations had, they were about a quarter million dollars and then they went down to a hundred thousand dollars and fifty thousand dollars, and now it's like hmm. nobody's going to a conference room. Everybody's in their living room or their, yeah. you know, closet and they're just I was on a call with the VC. Actually she was I think she was on the podcast and she had the blurred background thing. And then hmm. she had blurred it at some point, and I was like are you in your walk-in closet? She's like, yeah, my husband's working at home. There's two kids here. I just like the quietest like back of the house bedroom closet. I'm literally in a closet doing a podcast. And I was like, that is peak pandemic moment. All right, listen. Yeah. Turner, how can people pitch you? That's what they all want to know. So what's the uh, best way to pitch you? Do you like to hear ideas? Do you like to see MVPs? Uh, What's you know, uh, you're a new VC. So you're probably not cynical and annoyed when people contact you. So, or maybe yeah. you are, are you cynical yet? When people contact you, have you written a blog post about the right way to contact you? I have not Yeah, I hope That's I when never you do know a VCs jump the shark. Yeah. I, when I they start tweeting sh- about like, please stop emailing me your ideas. And I'm just like, hey, I'm too busy ringing the bell. Are you in the, the business? Uh, investing in founders of the customer? Like, it's it's literally almost like clockwork. Some VC hits a unicorn back in the day, and all of a sudden they have a blog post. Here's how to contact me correctly. Your best that's bet is to go funny. through somebody I know and jump yeah. a hoop. And it's like, or you could open your email and just look for yeah, 10 seconds or forward it to an associate.
1: That's, that's honestly, that's probably the best channel. I, there's a meme that I don't respond to DMs because I don't, I just lose track of them. Uh, yeah
0: no they go by they're like a river
1: they're just like yeah, this you, you don't understand it until it happens to you when you're just like yes. every
0: the day, day like a
1: hundred yeah. and uh, it's not it's not usually not that high but i just don't have time to to respond to them all and actually twitter's ui is not very good for responding i've to been talking
0: DMs. to the product manager at twitter about this i said if you really want twitter dms to work make a product called dms and make it a standalone dm app as part of the paid program, make it searchable, you know, they just added pins, so you can pin four conversations, whoop de doo congratulations, like, but they should make a full-on dedicated app, like Facebook has Messenger, there should be a Twitter DMs app, it should live and die on its own, and it should have, like, an mail function, where if you're using Twitter DMs and you're paid, you can slide into people's DMs, even if they don't have open DMs on, they could be, like, a third tab of, like, paid DMs, and really make it a robust product where, you know, DMing somebody with a cost would at least build some signal. Whatever. There's just like a million different ways to monetize it. But yeah, the product sucks. <laughs> and searching and it sucks.
1: There's, like, yeah. <laughs> the search on
0: Twitter is amazing. People don't realize how good the the semantic search on Twitter is. You can search by you know time period. You can search by if they're verified or not. You can search by you know keywords, booleans. I mean, it's. Very sophisticated, and none of that made it into Twitter DMs.
1: So you're searching
0: for, you know, like, yeah, it's just terrible. It's terrible interface. No starring. You can't star them. Can't put them into folders. How about folders? Would that be too hard to do, Twitter? Imagine if you had Twitter DM folders, and you could just be like VC, founder, journalist, and at the top when you opened it up, it would be like VC, founder, journalist, media. And you just go into them. What's that? I said meme accounts. Memes. Dank memes. Memes. Dank memes. Two different ones. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, email works. Great job on the program today. Uh, Thank you. you, Oh, now you're halfway through this fund. So that means there might be at some point another fund coming.
1: Yeah, we started to think about it. What do you think about these
0: rolling funds? Does that seem like a good idea to you or a bad idea to you?
1: Well, if you think about Tiger Global... I know I know I know you are aware of them. <laughs> their last fund they deployed not in like passing. 3 or 4 months. This next fund I would not be surprised if they deploy it in 3 or 4 months. They are essentially a rolling fund where every quarter LPs re-recommit to the next quarter Crunch. or couple months, yeah. And I think that it seems to be the direction everyone's going. Everyone's everyone is decreasing their deployment periods and they're increasing their fund sizes, which is showing up in valuations and the yep. intensity of the market. So yeah, I I try to stick to twenty four month funds. I'm I'm not trying to become an asset manager where I'm running a treadmill of like deploying as much money as possible. Um, our current portfolio was was pretty diversified. The next one will be a little bit more concentrated. Um, yeah, and so it's, I've started to think about it. We're not like really fundraising. There's a lot of people that are kind of interested, but I haven't really actually figured out a game plan yet. Uh, but I'm excited about it. It'll be cool to
0: officially. You didn't have to, you didn't have to go on the road for your fund. You just. Did It all over Zoom, right? And, and emails and small check sizes people don't even want to meet. they probably just commit over email, right?
1: Yeah, it was a, it, a little bit like a lot of people that I'd met and like mm-hmm. you know knew them for a couple of years. They're like, put me down for this. And I think be the best the...
0: part of it now is just that you can just raise your fund without going on tour. Last time I went on tour, you know, to the East Coast, I'm going to Boston, I'm going to Pennsylvania. I'm just going, you everywhere.
1: have to wear a suit and all that stuff. I was stuff. wearing
0: a suit and tie, yeah. I mean, yeah. Was, I was suited up and uh, it was felt great. Felt great to wake up in a hotel and get your suit on and polish your shoes, have a proper breakfast at 7 a.m. and get over there at 8 45 for the 9 a.m. meeting. And just get drilled. Yeah, I kind of found it, but then I kinda had a you you watch the show Billions at all? You're a fan of billions?
1: I've seen a couple episodes, yeah.
0: I basically went, what's the guy's name? Axel? Bobby Axelrod? I kinda had a Bobby Axelrod moment and I was like, what am I doing? Like this isn't me, and I was just like, I'm just going to put on an acdc shirt and just be like, I'm putting in my money. You want to come along for the ride? Let's go. There was just a scene where he was like, enough going and pitching everybody, and he just went punk rock. He's like, listen, the fun's going. It's my money. If you want to come along for the ride, you can come along for a ride. The end. And uh, he just took like a more and everybody was like, oh, yeah, no, no, of course, of course, of course, of course, Axel Bobby, oh, Mister Axel, oh, of course, we're, we're in. Uh, and some people were offended, but other people were in. You don't need to please everybody. All right, yes. Listen, Turner. You were a great first appearance on the show. Will not be your last. Let's do a let's do a six month check in, Nick. Can we? Can we? Uh, if, if Mr. Novak's uh, schedule allows, between TikTok, I also like your TikToks. What is the inspiration of this like big nose TikTok guy who's just?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, just try to think of the most ridiculous things I could do that was funny and really didn't offend anyone too much. Uh and just yeah, that was that's where it came from. I, honestly, if you if you go on TikTok and you scroll it, you get ideas that you can borrow from the mainstream yes. to like the VC startup. So that's where I get most of my ideas from. There'll be like a funny sound or music or a different mm-hmm. like character. Like just be like, ah, oh.
0: what does that character have a name?
1: Yeah, I, I he's just like the VC. He's just like Ner- Steuart Tovac. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I don't really want to be associated with the character, even though it's me. Which I don't know uh, my it's...
0: favorite was, uh, I think, is when I became aware of it and I just I retweeted it or something. Was he just kept interrupting the person with inane, or maybe yeah. they, he Nerner Tovac does this every time? But it was like he kept interrupting them with inane bullshit.
1: Like what's every, the tam? What's the LTV? What's the council?
0: with a cock? I was just like just like. Okay, well, it's in the deck. Did you review the deck before you got here? Like, Wait, what does the company do again? What's the what name of the company? company? Who, who else is who else is investing?
1: Ho- Ho- Sequoia? Ho- Ho- Sequoia? Ho- you said Ho- Sequoia's Ho- okay. leaving. Uh, you I'm might so like this great. one. I I did one where I reviewed all of Chamath's uh, alphabet IPO specs. I don't. It was like a year ago. Uh, but I, I like I like Open Door was like the worst, and I like I made up a bunch of fake ones like IHOP. Um, he was gonna <laughs> like I just I made up some I-hop. funny stuff i don't know if you saw I that, do one. Remember he seeing it, that one now it he is thought it was hilarious back. so it was pretty great yeah, yeah so i just i try friends. to make it funny i think founders like they don't need people to give them all this advice and like tell them how they're the, on their business usually they're just like i want to get to know the people they're investing i want to be able mm-hmm. to trust them you know I, I, I think in making jokes and you know making memes and being humorous like you kind of show like hey, i know what i'm talking about like i i get it you know i'm just i'm not gonna come in and boss you around and Usually for for me, like for what I'm at, I'm not leading around. I'm not sitting on your board. Founders just want somebody that they identify with and mm. think they can trust and, and feel like they know before they reach out. Like they know what it's going to be like talking and working with mm. me. So that's kind of what I try to portray in the in the the tweets and the TikTok. So,
0: all right, everybody, follow Turner Novak. T u uh, t u r n e r n o v a k. In case you uh, need the spelling, yeah. Search him on Twitter. Search him on TikTok. Great follow. And we'll see you you. online and in six months, have you back on the program, we'll do another Q&A, we'll do a little more uh, portfolio review, and we'll see you all next time on this week in service. Bye bye, everybody.